0: score the podcast the only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers presented by spitfire
1: audio i'm kenny holmes
2: i am robert Kraft. and
1: this is score the podcast presented by spitfire audio this is a big one robert it's been a long season
2: it's It's our season finale folks epic an epic accomplishment can we all of us reach around pat ourselves on the back four seasons in the can yep yep i think we must have at this point at least two or three thousand composers that we've talked to it seems like and
3: it. yeah i think the math checks out and
2: um, <laughs> and it's just been fabulous i i say this i think at the end of every season this was our best one yet i keep saying it but this was really interesting plus we introduced more score for all of those that have been begging for more content.
1: For year-round content, that's right. Uh, real quick, I want to introduce our guests for the season finale here. Uh, executive producer Matt Schrader. Welcome back to the show, Hello. Matt. Um, nice backdrop there. It's very uh, it's like you're on a Hollywood yeah. junket. I'm, I want to ask you about like your nice. movie that's coming up.:
3: Yeah,
2: nice. You have about
3: four minutes, and then it's the next person.
1: And then good morning as well to Composer Carol. Composer Carol joining us with the coolest background good of morning. all. Very, of course. Very modern, mm-hmm. Very uh, got your plants, got your records on the wall, very organized. Kind of minimal, but hip. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, and sure, sure. Uh, coming up, our most important guest of all, our guest of honor for today's show, he's a I mean, it would take me forever to list all of his accomplishments. Um, but he's got a star on the Walk of Fame. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's thank you. G- got so many awards, Oscars, Grammys. Uh, we're talking about, of course, Randy Newman, not Robert Kraft.
2: Oh, oh so sorry. <laughs> Shoot, God, oh, I was wondering. No. Randy Newman, of course. Such an important influence, personally just musically and the opportunity to speak with them and ask him questions, really a treasure. I have to give a shout out to Amos Newman, his son who helped us.
3: It is amazing. Pop music to film scores, how much of an influence he's had musically over the last half of the century. You know, it's a long time. And half of the world too,
2: how much influence. There
3: are generations of people who have grown up with his music sometimes worked with him (laughs) then after that and, and he's still cranking out, you know, these, these amazing film scores. So I'm really excited that uh, you guys got in touch. I know that was a, we were working on that for a while, but, um, but man, what a cool, uh, cool finale.
2: Randy didn't need us. Right. You know, it wasn't, it was so I understand completely and it was very generous of him. I just wanted to say, too, it, it, it's, us an it's
1: really cool with Randy Newman that so many filmmakers want his voice in the songs because he's such an incredible songwriter and he's written songs for so many of the biggest names in music. But in so many of these Pixar movies, it's Randy singing. It's not... The star of the film it's not you know let's get a pop superstar that's more current for the younger audience to recognize true they still use randy and there's something about his voice that is so unique that as soon as you hear two words out of his mouth you're like it's randy newman and it's going to be a great song and that's something that i really love about him and and that is really shows the respect that he has in hollywood that these filmmakers not only come to him for the songs but for his
3: voice as well and it, it was funny how he talked about being, you know, how younger kids now will heckle him when he does a concert. <laughs> and uh, this was in an interview a while back we did for the movie for Score of Film Music Documentary. But he was talking about how, you know, now there will be five-year-olds that go, You sing, you got a friend. Get like, to it. He's like, all right.
1: What are these songs? Really, I've never heard I this. I really
2: influenced by Randy Newman's records. Just coming up to hear sail away and it's lonely at the top i mean these amazing songs that he wrote to think that i'm not sure how many decades later to be actually able to speak to him and ask him about that period in his life as well as the current work he's doing really really important for all of us artistically and culturally he's he's an icon well and anyone who's
1: Anyone who's been to a Dodger game too in Los Angeles, <laughs> I love LA. I love is LA. The theme song yeah, um, every
2: so night.
1: We at can ask the end. him about that as well. Um, before we get to Randy, uh, we want to take a minute, as always, to thank our sponsor, Spitfire Audio, maker of orchestral sample libraries for film composers. Where whether you're just starting out or a seasoned professional, Spitfire has so many sounds you will love.
2: Yeah, and you know they release a new library every month, and. I don't know about anyone who's listening, but the free lab series gets you an entire orchestra for free uh, in the discover edition of the BBC symphony orchestra. And if you stick around at the end of this episode, you're going to hear a demo of the contemporary drama toolkit.
1: Yeah. That's a uh, one of their bigger packages. So they do the free lab series and the BBC symphony uh, discover edition to get you started then you can roll right into some of these big packages. And uh, with as an uh, as a listener of Score the Podcast, we have a hookup for you, 25% off your first order of Spitfire products. If you've been on the fence about getting a package from them, now's your time because our season is wrapping up. Who knows how long they'll keep this uh, promo code alive. It's SCORE2021. Use it in the checkout on SpitfireAudio.com. You, can get a, you, you don't have to just get one either. I know one of our listeners bought like 15 packages at once and really cleaned up. So uh, if you're on the fence, get on it because we can't guarantee this uh, promo code will last forever. And uh, like Robert said, stick around after the show today. We'll play you a clip from that package, the Contemporary Drama Toolkit. Uh, it's become one of their most popular packages, and uh, it has strings, textures, synths, leads, pads, guitars, basses, Um, everything you would need to put something together for a film or a TV show or a commercial, anything you're working on uh, as a composer. So we will get to that uh, later in the show at the end uh, after our interview with Randy Newman. Um, Before we get to Randy, we always like to do this on the end of the season, Um, go through kind of some of our favorite moments of the season. Uh, We had 11 episodes, which is a little... A little random. We were going to have 10, but then we had an opportunity to to chat with James Newton Howard uh, at the last second and we, we couldn't pass it up and man, what a great conversation that was. I I thoroughly enjoyed every minute with him. He is so, so great and inspiring. And for someone at that level to talk as humbly as, as he does, it it makes us all kind of feel better about ourselves. I think Um, it just going through, struggles and things that we go through as creators and hearing someone at that level talk like that uh it it was inspiring to me i don't know about you guys but
3: i i took a lot of that to heart and what a the the guy was so interesting with james newton howard because he has a, a, a tremendous catalog that goes back quite a while all kinds of music that he's worked on all kinds of films that he's worked on and um and he comes in and and you guys just kind of opened up this whole conversation about his life and where he came from and his interests. And that was really fun. I haven't heard, you know, we've done a lot of research on a lot of our guests, but I I had never heard anyone get into that kind of stuff, um, address the rumors that his, uh, his relative, I forget, uh, played for the, what was it? Grandma Pittsburgh symphony or whatever (laughs) it was. (laughs) So we put that one to bed, that rumor, but, um, and then kind of let it live on also the lore of that but what a great episode that and was And he
1: him. he uh, blew up some headlines there talking about that six part docu series about uh, Lucas and ILM that that kind of spread yeah. all over the place. Both of
3: them. He dropped it right at the end of the show. It was that six part documentary yeah. on George Lucas which obviously uh, me doing blockbuster I'm very interested in. And then um yeah. Willow when they're doing uh the uh the the series for Willow based on that that um Movie by Lucasfilm, right. so um, and, and he's it's doing both, both the uh,
1: Lawrence Kasdan and his son, uh, Lawrence Kasdan doing the docu series, and then his son is, uh, I guess, the showrunner or director of. The Willow series. Um, and I know that yep. that caused a lot of rumblings too on, uh, social media and Reddit. Yeah. People are saying, Oh, is he going to use the Horner themes? And how far is he going to, you know, connect to the original movie? Um, so a lot of exciting stuff for, for James Newton Howard coming up. And yeah, he definitely set off uh the the breaking news alerts that
2: robert likes to do around hollywood i'll tell you a do, do. big highlight for me of this of this news? season <laughs> the big highlight and is that we we spent time with three new composers who quite wonderfully and not entirely on purpose were women and were women composers who are all making their presence felt and yep. uh they were three of the most interesting interviews for me. Nanita Desai, fantastic. Isabella Summers, who's so interesting. And then just a special special shout out to Isabel Waller Bridge, who I thought was just could not have been more delightful. And those three were just wonderful and refreshing in a way that I don't think I anticipated being as excited about their careers and their input. And yeah. it really does show how The all-male fraternity, literally, fraternity of film composers is slowly crumbling, but in a good way. Expanding, yeah, whatever
1: whatever it is that it's opening up.
3: Uh, Let's also not forget um, Serge Tankian. (laughs) Oh, that was so cool. System of a Down. That was a little last-minute thing that we were able to get a hold of in the middle of this season, which is so cool. We all no system of a down. Um, and, uh, and then Alan Menken, my you know, right. Our number two episode of the season, such a cool episode of chance to, to chat with Alan Menken about his life. And, uh, that was really cool. You know, the impressive thing is I, this is the first season where we've gone back to a couple composers that we've really liked. Obviously Tom Holkenborg at the start of the season with all the Snyder cut kind of craziness and all of that. But, um, but also James Newton Howard, both of those are top-rated episodes. So we were a little nervous about going back to anybody. But you know what? It's been a few years. It's time. We can go back to these guys. Nice. Um, and uh, and they're doing cool stuff. So it was really, really cool to be able to to check back in with them and go deeper.
1: Yeah. Carol, did you have a favorite moment of the season? There were plenty and some of them have been mentioned by you guys. But I I liked the conversation with Nainita Desai. I think it was it was really relatable for mm. me. Um she was talking about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and we know how we all deal with that and yeah, it was a really nice conversation conversation and I'm really excited for her future work um yeah and there were a couple good moments too
0: like uh when we started singing hymns with james dean <laughs> howard when he was talking about his influence and that's kind of where i came from too
1: so when he started singing i was like oh that's so cool like i know those hymns and that was a cool moment and yeah the season opener was fun uh when we talked about the Snyder. Yeah, band. yeah and tom's tom's the ability to do that score during the pandemic, right. a four-hour movie, what a what a monster. So if you guys haven't caught up to this season yet and you're bouncing around, definitely Like, I know that you might have your favorite composer you want to listen to, but one of the things that I love doing about this show the most is talking to these composers who maybe you haven't seen every movie they've done, and it really makes you want to go check some stuff out. Like Dan Romer, uh, what a talent yep. and... I went and watched Luca. Would I have rushed to watch it right when I did? Maybe not, but I wanted to prepare a little bit and watch it. And I loved that movie. It was great. And his music is so good it. in it. And um, it's it, it's inspiring uh, for me to just go watch some new things, broaden my perspective a little bit on what I watch. Um, and speaking of that, more score. Uh, we aren't stopping here. So we've talked about it on the show. It's a Patreon um, which which means it's it's crowdfunded by you in a in a monthly, uh, you know, subscription, if you will. Um, there's options to upgrade your subscription if you want some cool merch. Uh, some of our uh, patrons have posted pictures of their and sweet our, shirts our and-
3: lead, our headline for this is we're changing the structure of this a little bit during the off yeah. season. So we're basically going to go back down. We've had a lot of very loyal supporters who've been uh, contributing a little bit to help keep all of that stuff running. I mean, the reality is these you know, it, these things cost some amount of money to produce. It's not that much to, to do it all, but like the system we're using right now, which usually works for us in the last episode of more score, we just did with the Newton brothers. We had a little bit of an iffy thing with our uh, internet provider, but um, aside from that, you know, there's a, it costs a little bit to produce this. So, chipping in a few bucks to help us out to pay for some subscriptions to the software we use and the tools that we're using to produce this stuff goes a long way um, and allows us to keep bringing you great content so we're going to basically start our tiers uh, during this off season at 10 bucks um, and you'll get this content every uh, every every post. Well, I guess three to four times a month. And if you want to support us with more, great, you can. Uh, there are some other tiers that'll allow you to do that. You can get a shirt, you can get a, a shirt and a coffee mug. Some people have posted pictures of that, which is really cool to see. Um, and there's a rotating rewards program that's in there that's part of what Patreon does. But to make it more accessible and easier to the people that just want to be able to get new, interesting current interviews that are happening all the time with composers. It's not specific to our score the podcast season. Well, now's an opportunity to, to be able to do that. So we're lowering all of that, uh, the, the price point to be able to get in and really looking forward to, uh, being able to continue those conversations. Cause, um, it's a lot of fun. The yeah. couple episodes that we just posted, uh, with the Newton brothers and, um, right before that with, uh, oh boy, I'm going to, I'm going to probably butcher the name, Robert Cristobal Tapia,
2: Tapia Devere, Devere, thank <laughs> of you very White, White Lotus, Lotus.
3: Um, very cool Ooh. conversations. And, and I'm let me doing just say, little bit of my White Lotus.
1: We had the Newton brothers on uh, in season two, and they're one of our most listened to episodes. And we love those guys; great friends of the show. Um, but this conversation is particularly interesting because they have a new show coming out uh, with Mike Flanagan, who they've partnered with for Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor, Doctor Sleep. Um, but Andy Grush, one of the Newton brothers, not only did they score the series, but Andy acts—he plays a role in every episode of this show that comes out. I think
3: next week, um, this week, and end of this week.
1: It's end of this week.
3: Um, yeah, as so you're he, listening he, to this, it's on Friday.
1: He he drove to Canada to do this because it was in the middle of the pandemic. He had to this. If you're a composer and you've gone through some battles of trying to get stuff recorded in weird ways, you're going to love what Andy talks about because yeah. he recorded in some of the weirdest places at weird times of the night because of him being too loud in his hotel room. And, uh, it's just,
3: it's awesome. Those he guys are great. A pop song in his car <laughs>
1: <laughs> in a,
2: in a parking garage, a portable yeah,
3: recorder. Yeah. It's pretty crazy.
2: Um, so and speaking of tears, I think I may be shedding a few uh-oh. if we don't hear Randy Newman at some point. Dang! Do you uh-oh. think? How do you feel antsy. about how do you feel about my my segue? Um, that was along. kind of a, it was Move a little along. Bit,
1: it was a little bit. I don't know. Rude? <laughs> rude? Is that the word?
2: <laughs> <Aw>. <laughs> He's like, speaking of wrapping things up. Speaking of wrapping things up, and I was thinking, speaking of car crashes. Um, I really don't want to talk about last night's Emmys. I know we're going to hear this a few days from now because... um,
3: Yeah, it's not last night anymore. You gave away that we're recording this on
1: Monday. Oh, my
2: God. I am really (laughs) disappointed with last year's Emmys. It's not live. Um, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) we can save that for another day. I just think that with that much quality TV, can't they write a funnier better show but we will put
3: <laughs> well that's always the thing with the emmys isn't it we will
2: put a pin in that for now well we should we run will. through the winners really quick though. yeah let's, let's just it.
3: touch on the winners that was Fire the crea-
1: so creative arts happened the week before so if you watched last night and you're like where are the composers um that's not new they they they, they Put all the creative arts uh, the week before. The Crown France. and the
3: Queen's Gambit won everything for those right. of you that and don't sit through four hours. Yeah, and <laughs> Ted Lasso.
1: Um, so uh, main title theme is uh, the flight attendant by our friend Blake Neely. Great. Um, terrific score uh, yeah. or terrific theme, I should say, for the score. Uh, the compos- music composition for a limited anthology series movie or special. Uh, Carlos Rafael Rivera, The uh, Queen's Gambit. Yeah. I think everyone kind of saw that. Another score guest. Uh, yep. Music his composition interviews
3: on more score now too. If you want to get yeah. back.
1: Yep. Uh, music composition for a series, original dramatic score. The Mandalorian takes it again. Yep. Uh, Ludwig Goransson just on Not a tear all. right now. Um, outstanding music composition for a documentary series or special. Another friend of the show, Stephen Price, who we had mm-hmm. on uh, season two. Great yep, guy, yep. great composer. Check that episode out. Um, original music and lyrics. Looks like WandaVision. Uh, Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert yeah. Lopez.
2: Let it um, go. Let it go. That's
1: right. The same ones. <laughs> uh, music direction, Bo Burnham for that uh, Netflix special he did. And inside. he was robbed
2: last night at the Emmys because he should have <laughs> won for best music, musical or comedic show. Please continue. And Music Supervision
1: for I May Destroy You, Sierra Elwis and Matt Biffa.
2: Yeah, um, Matt Biffa. They did great, and uh, what a great show. I think it was all really, really good, and I'm going to make a prediction that next year at the Emmys, we're going to hear a lot of... Ooh, 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 ooh. Thank you. And they may be hiring me for episode two of White Lotus. That just was pretty do- good. My imitation Should of we send that, that, the uh, White Lotus so that, toolkit
1: for spite, Spitfire. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah. nice
2: White Lotus toolkit. <laughs> put it right next to the petting puppies toolkit. Featuring Robert. And on Draft. that note, I think it's time. Should we take a break? I think we take a break. We come back with the maestro of maestros, the Natural, yeah. the VC Biscuit. I just
1: want to say thank you to all you guys for a great season. Thanks. Uh, composer Amazing Carol, season. who's our production coordinator tracking people down, roping in times and dates, Tracking people. it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it it's a, a team effort. And, and Robert, of course, just your expertise and working together with Carol to little figure color out
2: commentary who from, we want to uh, talk to
1: and, and all of that. And, and Matt, all the legal stuff and handling paperwork and also just come, you, you know, guys stop getting and, us
2: sued. <laughs> and I think all this legal stuff. we also all owe a shout out to Kenny for doing everything else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> After well, you it, just it's been fun, and
1: I hope you guys are checking out. Even if you just listen on the podcast, check out one of the YouTubes because um, we're all on video, and it's really cool to see uh, inside the composer studios. Alan Mankin gave us a tour and showed us his Razzie, and you know Dan Romer's playing accordions, Dan and Romer. you can see all that on the screen. Um, So thanks again for uh, joining us for this whole season. And a special shout out to Spitfire Audio. Thank you. uh, Paul, Christian, Ben, uh, everybody over there who has partnered with us uh, for three seasons now. And um, we couldn't do this without you guys. And we hope you guys go support them, too, and get some of their sound packages so you can sound better and they can keep doing what they're doing because they do a great job and and we love them. Uh, Coming up after the break, Randy Newman. This is Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio, the season finale. We'll see you in a minute.
2: Where's that coming from?
1: (laughs) Wow. Hey, guys, it's Kenny. Back to the show in just a second. If you like Score the Podcast, you're going to want to check out More Score. More Score already has hours of content waiting for you. You can listen to interviews with composers Zach Robinson and Leo Bierenberg of Cobra Kai and Carlos Rafael Rivera, the maestro behind The Queen's Gambit. Plus, we've done a sit down with the founders of Spitfire Audio, Christian Henson and Paul Thompson, who share why not even an erupting volcano could stop them from launching the business. It's a pretty crazy story. More Score is our new Patreon show for Score Superfans. And if you don't know what Patreon is, well, it's a website and an app that lets fans crowdfund the type of extra content you want. And with Patreon, you can listen or watch right on the app. It's really easy. And the best part about More Score. It's year round, just like you asked for, no more offseason. Just go to patreon.com slash morescore or download the Patreon app and search
3: more score.
1: We'll see you over there.
3: Hi, this is Danny
2: Elfman, and you're listening to Score, the podcast. And now let's get back to the show.
1: Welcome back to this season finale of SCORE, the podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. We are so excited to welcome our guest. He's a legend in more ways than one. He's a multiple Oscar, Emmy, and Grammy-winning songwriter and composer. He's even in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and he has a star on the Walk of Fame. You know his songs and scores from Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., A Bug's Life, Cars, Biscuit, Marriage Story, Meet the Parents, James and the Giant Peach, and so many more. Please welcome to the show, maestro Randy Newman. Randy, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. We're so, so glad to have you on the show for this season
2: finale. It's a pleasure to be here. Randy, you know that I, uh, you and I have met before, and mostly in many ways, because I had the honor of sitting in both of your uncle's chair for 20 years, first you know I inherited the gig that was first Alfred's and then Lionel's and uh so the Newman and the Newman stage we we named of course while I was at 20th Century Fox but I I have to tell you that I'd be remiss if I didn't first ask before we get into all that fun stuff about your work there wasn't a soul who came into my office of a certain age who would wouldn't look around and say, I remember visiting Lionel here. And they would yeah. always tell, I mean, Jerry Goldsmith and John mm-hmm. Williams, and they would always tell a Lionel Newman story, which they'd first apologize, like, is it okay for me to say a couple words in this office? And I'd say, <laughs> uh, just tell the story. So I thought, Randy, if there was just a memory of Lionel you could share with us, because I know you two were close, and those Lionel stories, I think, need to be preserved and saved. Is it there-
0: <laughs> Really? Uh, I'm trying to think. You used to
2: visit him when you were...
0: when you- Yeah, I used to visit him. He'd say, it's a Jewish holiday today. And I said, what do you mean? I didn't, th- I didn't know that. And he said, uh, yes, it is. He said, get in the car, got in the car, drive down Pico, and made a left on Sepulveda, and he went to Hollywood Park. <laughs> and that, that was the Jewish holiday. To, going to the track. <laughs> yes, there's nothing of the essence of him, the bad language, but, but uh, he had uh, Mel Brooks told Lionel that he wouldn't bring his wife into the commissary because of Lionel's language. Mel Brooks, the guy, who, the guy who did the Inquisition, you know, did some of the, the most vulgar stuff, funny, in the history of motion pictures, and he didn't want his wife to hear Lionel. He was, it, it, it was difficult. He had, uh, he said some vulgar things. He, he didn't mean much, anything by him, but he could never do it today, he wouldn't survive.
2: Oh, I haven't thought about that. You're right, because it was a colorful way of expressing himself and probably some people would take offense these days but it was lots lots of people would. it was legendary and um listen i feel embraced in some ways just coming up as a musician and a composer and certainly at fox by the entire newman family i mean i was lucky not only to sit in that chair but uh tommy
0: and You, you actually sat in the chair he occupied Should be careful. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Well, they did always tell
2: me certain people would come in and say, you know, Johnny Williams sat here during lunch and he and Lionel had lunch together in this room. They did. Which is.
0: Lionel Lionel would say things, you know, John is a a gentleman, let's say. mm -hmm. And Lionel would say things uh, uh, that would, you know, scare John to the extent that he'd run almost to the exit to get out of there. Uh, he loved him, but uh, he would use unfit language sitting next to Sherry Lansing, who was head of the studio at the time. Mm. And he called her Miss Lansing or, uh, and he called the Xanax Mr. Zanuck, and things like that. That's how he lasted 45 years. Right, But, uh, he didn't. John said that when they had that the building that you set up so nicely for, for to be named by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, John gave a little speech at the at the christening, yep. and he said that and, and and Spielberg gave a little speech, and Spielberg said that what he uh, when he first met Lionel, the first thing he thought was. I never want to be in front of this guy. I always want to stay behind him because Lionel was just whap, whap, rip, rip, rip. And uh, that's what he said. Yeah.
2: Um, I had two, two doors in my office, and um, they were identified as showgirls in, showgirls out, I think, be- <laughs> because in many ways during that time, which is very different from now. There was an orchestra on the lot and there were showgirls on the lot. And the orchestra, uh, I believe, and Randy, you might know this for a fact because I've always heard Mm -hmm. this, that Alfred and Lionel would work during the day doing whatever the bureaucratic work of getting and musical work of getting scores ready, but then they would go and record at night, which sounds like a very long day to me. I've seen photographs of the Fox stage set up with Linen on tables for dinner that they would then strike and the orchestra would record. Can you tell us just a bit about?
0: No, that's before my time, really. But they weren't afraid of hard work. Yeah. Uh, and Alfred, particularly, but both of them. But, Emil, also. But you used to come to scoring
2: dates when you were young. I know that you, you came to LA did. and did you come, uh,
0: and sit in the room while they were, there wasn't a roo- uh, in the room, uh, there wasn't like a booth that you could sit in, a recording booth. You sat in the room and had to be real careful about making noise, mm. I thought. Yeah. And, uh, so I saw a little, uh, King and I, I believe I saw a little bit of All About Eve, mm,
2: mm, mm.
0: the gunfighter, uh, movie did, uh, yeah. Al worked very hard all his life. Was,
1: Can you tell was, us yeah. j- just about um, growing up, you are surrounded by a family of of musical, you know, from all different ends. And you. At, what what brought you to L.A.? Because you weren't born in no, L.A. No, no, right? I was. I was born oh, in L.A. Oh, you were?
0: Yeah, there's some uh, misinformation about that. Okay. Part, probably my, owing to myself saying it. But I was born... Here in LA, and my mom and I went to New Orleans for just a couple of years, uh, ah. when my dad was in the army. And, uh, and we came out here, you know, when I was like three years, uh, well, older than that, four or five. Hmm. And, uh, and uh, that's the way it went. So, so but I, so
1: I, your your path didn't start in film, film scoring, but I'm wondering, you're around that at what point did you first start getting into music yourself um was it due to the family or did you find because you you weren't doing the film scoring thing at first so Listen, what was your inspiration to get into film? in music?
0: the family if somebody's four or five years old and they play a third all of a sudden there's a piano in their room you know <laughs> just in case that they may have uh talent of some kind yeah and you know obviously tom and david and they played a third real early, <laughs> and uh, I guess I did, too. I don't know.
2: I actually read that you said that you backed into film scoring and that you like to do that, mm-hmm. that occasionally you've written a song for a movie first and then backed into the score from that. I, I remember the first score I oh. heard of yours. I, I knew that you had scored ragtime, but I was a huge fan of the Bernard Malamud book, The Natural. Yeah. And... Needless to say, that score of yours was just a turning point, I think, for all fans of of film scores, all fans of movies, because you just announced yourself pretty instantly as a major voice in American film scoring. Thank you. Um, Very nice. It means a lot coming from you. Oh, man, that was, listen, there's a scene in there. It's funny, I'm just remembering it, where Robert Redford, I believe he hits the scoreboard or the lights Mm -hmm. uh, with a, Big home run and your mm-hmm. cue I think for me was this is Aaron Copeland meets Stephen Foster. Um but it wasn't needless to say the first thing that you did. I know that your relationship with Lenny at Warner Brothers was instrumental yeah. in starting you as a recording artist. And did you assume at that point that's what you will do is be a recording artist and be the black sheep of the Newmans only doing records?
0: Uh, Though I I always thought I'd I'd do some scores. Uh, I, uh, you know, the first thing I wrote for orchestra was an arrangement for stuff on my first record. Hmm. David the Fat Boy Mm -hmm. and Cowboy. But Al came down and was going to conduct for me. Wow. And Hmm. he, every time he recorded, he got sick. He would. He'd get so nervous. This is Alfred Newman, uh, and he was nervous uh, uh doing uh, this date. Uh, and you know, I forgot what what uh, the point of my story was going to be. Well,
2: did he comment on your arrangements?
0: Oh, he, you know, what he said uh, he said two things. He said your voice sounds good with strings hmm. so for the next 30 years i wondered well, it doesn't sound good with woodwind, <laughs> or what should i do should i not do it and there's a lot to be said for that and he also said uh don't ever quit writing songs <laughs> so i thought jesus it's that bad is know? that like, a backhanded I gotta, compliment i, I remind him, <laughs> yeah no it, he he was pretty genuine about it really i mean he uh I think he thought I, I would be okay. How lovely! It was. It was a tough family. In that was there regard.
1: pressure on you when when you did your first score just to live up to the
0: name? I, I mean, there. I felt it. Yeah, I did. It was. I, I think it was more pressure than might have been had I come completely from the outside. That's interesting because you know I would see Jerry Goldsmith and you know and uh, Johnny, you know, two of the best people of all time often, and Alfred was, uh, so, and all the orchestrators would sit at a table, and John and, and Jerry would sit there, and it was a well-regarded bunch, you know, uh, Herbie Spencer and Arthur Morton, uh, John, Jerry, Sandy Courage was orchestrating them, and they were tough, you know. I once heard, Goldsmith came in once, and he said, so I saw, had I went to a concert last night. and said, what, "What did you see?" I said, uh, Be- "Beethoven the Emperor said, "What a piece of crap!" And I thought, well, <laughs> <laughs> "You know Beethoven really? How I, I know what he means, but but uh, you know that's pretty that's pretty rugged." How wonderful <laughs>
2: to flash forward from that fear to know that you entered the
0: Pantheon alongside them. Yeah, that you uh, that you did it. I think about it uh, what they uh, would think of this and that less so than I used to I'll write something and I think Jesus you know that's tough Al said don't do it unless you're going to be the best and and I I say to myself Jesus is this really the best? no pressure when I do something yeah it was a lot of pressure but though he was he was not discouraging hmm. Lion, Lionel was tougher really. In a way, yeah, you are.
2: I um, it's interesting. What uh, when you said you, your voice sounds good with strings? For some reason, I can't tell you why. I'm imagining the song "Lonely" at the top, which I believe is yeah. a woodwind arrangement. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, and it's, it's one of yeah, my favorites. Strings, and so I'd say woodwinds should be should not be discounted.
0: No, maybe not. But I thought when I did uh, "Lonely" at the top that it worked out really well in a surprising way i mean i didn't expect it but that's a good example of of woodwind and saxes working uh, with my voice
2: oh it's so perfect it's it's got that uh a real authentic feel of kind of new orleans and americana i do know and i wouldn't mind if you actually shared a little bit about how that song you didn't write for Mm -hmm. yourself correct you wrote it for another artist
0: uh, I wrote it for Frank Sinatra. I thought it'd be funny. You know, the song goes, you know. <sighs> I've been around the world. Have my paper paper. And It goes on. But it's all this bragging. Not bragging, but about how... How his life is so rotten, and he's lonely, and it says it's lonely. You think I'd be happy, mm-hmm.
2: but I'm not. But
0: I'm not, right. yeah. So I thought it'd be funny if he did that, but he didn't think so. Really? I played it for him, and he said, got anything else, kid? Oh, my. <laughs> and I so I played him, uh, I think it's going to rain. He, he liked that. Oh, nice. That's-
1: did you ever talk to him after it came out?
0: No. And say, you uh, should have done it? <laughs> I never got close to him again. <laughs> no, he, he, uh, he didn't want to make fun of himself. You know, Streisand felt the same way about that song. It would have been funny had she done it, but she, she, rightfully so, maybe, I thought people would really believe it, that she really meant that.
2: It's interesting how certain artists, they don't have a sense of humor about their position and, don't want to threaten it. And yet you are just yeah. the opposite. Your songs. No, I don't have any position. Yeah. Your songs <laughs> are poke, poke into everything and, and become more prescient. Yeah. If you think about sail away or political science today, when you wrote them, which had a huge impact on me, they were fun and funny. And now they're kind of tragically appropriate 40 some odd years later
0: yeah some of them yeah it's
1: true probably. Can you tell us about your writing style um and how you i mean do you hum stuff in the car and write it down? Do you sit at the piano and noodle yeah. till something comes
0: uh, i I can't remember three times when I thought of something uh when I wasn't sitting at the piano mm. uh, I, I, I I don't get the ideas when I'm not trying to have an idea to tell you the truth. Do you generally write with
1: lyrics in mind, or do you just come up with the notes and then fill lyrics into those spaces?
0: Uh, often, it, it comes at the same time. Uh, there'll be some kind of a lick of some kind, some kind of figure, and I'll, I'll say something, or uh, and that'll take me away. Often, it's some kind of diction. Or since I write about characters, uh, which is more unusual than I might have thought, uh, sometimes it will happen that way, mm. the, the, the way the guy talks in the song.
2: I've been interested in a um, kind of contradiction in some of the things I've read that you've said, and it's, it's this. You said in one series of interviews, you talked about writing on assignment. And I really respond to that, that sometimes when you have an assignment, it's clear what you're going to write. You're not just sitting at a piano thinking, I just have to write new songs. And so I appreciated that. But then in a later interview, I heard you talk about the pressure of writing a film score and and how that kind of assignment is full of demands that are difficult. Um I mean i guess the takeaway is writing is not easy no matter how you approach it but if i don't think so if i asked you right now this afternoon which would you prefer sit down and write a randy newman song just for shits and giggles as they say or Mm -hmm. here's a movie that has a deadline and a theme and you have to compose the score in the next four months and deliver it do you have a preference of those two today
0: In a way, the easiest thing for me is a song assignment. Mm. You know, like you got a friend or uh, whatever the hell else, uh, love to see you smile. Uh, that's the easiest thing for me. If I know what a song's about, uh, I could write a song about a baboon and a <laughs> kitty cat. Yeah. If I, you know, if I had to. Uh, so... But writing a score is difficult. Writing for orchestra is difficult. Uh, they sound, if it sounds good on the piano, it'll sound in the orchestra pretty much. But, uh, it's not easy. Uh, uh, all your guys that, that you've uh, dealt with and, and, uh, it, it, it can tear you up, uh, and, and does.
2: I think the fundamental difference though, and, I'd love to hear your thoughts and feel free to share or be discreet, but when you're writing a song, you're writing it for you, and there's no real boss in the room. Maybe somebody will say, let's try and cut one a little faster, but it's a Randy Newman song, and that's the way it's going to go. When you're writing a score, you have a director who will say those kind of uh, annoyingly polite things like, you (sighs) know… not sure this works for me and you know you've just nailed it um yeah. i think that as we all know that's the probably the hardest part of being a composer is when you have a director that doesn't understand um yeah we were thinking about some of your gigs and i thought is there ever one that you just and again please feel free to not share but that you thought i shouldn't have taken this i shouldn't have taken this show it just—I'm not the right one. That's happened. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't—I wouldn't mention uh, what it was. I can only think of one. You know, in the middle of it, I think that about all of them. <laughs> I shouldn't have done this. You know, what is—what am I doing here? Uh, but a song assignment—I've always come up with it relatively quickly, and I can't remember anything turned down and oh yeah I think I have it
2: makes me wonder and I wish I knew better how some of your songs relate to the score whether they're based on the melody and that's when the song appears is that you take a piece of the melody and turn it into a song or they're so stand alone your songs I mean you can hear you've got a friend in me in any situation and it's just a stand alone incredible song
0: but it was strictly Adhere to the the directive they gave me. They said we want it to be about friendship, <laughs> you know, the boy and uh, and Woody, the cowboy. Yeah. it's about friendship. And I asked for you know adjectives or any kind of words that aren't musical. Uh, you don't want musical terms from from director necessarily. You don't want him saying more staccato here, <laughs> less minor. Uh, yeah. I've heard all of it. But what you want is, what do you want it to feel like? You want it to be fast, slow, and that one was friends. And so I said, y- you got a friend, you got a friend, you got a friend in me. I just said it a number of times.
2: Oh, and, uh, that's so great. Yeah, the directors that are the scariest are the ones who are think they're musical, the ones who say, you, yeah. know, you know, I played trumpet in my high school band. Yeah. and you Or have phonographed.
1: <laughs> Robert just kind of asked a question I wanted to ask, but... I guess when I was going back and listening to all of your songs, the 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 sure. subject matter of the song works so well with the story, but they really do stand alone. And you, I, I don't know if this is on purpose, and maybe that's my question: Do you specifically not write lyrics specific to what you're seeing on the screen or about the character, so they can maybe feel a little bit more relatable to people? It's not saying the cowboy and the spaceman, but these two friends and it, it's very general. And even uh, you know, in other, other songs that you've written, it's very much like that where you don't focus on specific parts of the film, but it's, it, it's general. So you can feel it uh, as an audience member too.
0: I really just try and fulfill the assignment, hmm. but the occasional things like uh, a song I wrote for uh bug's life. What is, what is it? it's the time of your life i think it's that one Mm. so maybe it will i could be wrong could be another one but in any case i tried to convince them to let me make the lyric more universal than Mm -hmm. just just be about a bug which is what the thing was it just told the story of this bug and I said, come on, let me, uh, let me just make it a regular song. I think it, it might do you some good. Uh, but no, Laster wanted it to be about the bug. And so it was.
1: Yeah. An example I'm thinking of is Toy Story 4 with Forky. I can't let you throw yourself away. Like that could be taken so many different ways, but you're talking about literally throwing a fork away. But the way you wrote it, you don't mention that. So it, it can be, uh, translated in so many different ways outside of the picture. And I just, yeah, I, mean, I always love that about your songs.
0: It's personal pronouns, you know, so I can't let you throw yourself away. Yeah, it could be suicide. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. But, but I wrote it to just tell that story. That's, that's what, what I do in that
2: situation. Randy, I'm looking at a, a list of, of these incredible credits and chronologically something stands out. If I start with Ragtime, The Natural, Parenthood, Avalon, Awakenings, The Paper, Maverick. These are all live action traditional movies. When I get to the next one, I wonder what it was like for you and what the process was when someone approached you and said, would you be interested in scoring an animated film called Toy Story for Pixar? Was it the first
0: animated film you'd done? Yeah, I can't remember whether I did james the giant peach before or, or after i can but tell you it was, was aft- the- just
2: after so suddenly just your now. whole everything's so i look at toy story and i think animation is so fun people here's my favorite yeah. thing that a young composer says do you have any animated films they're going to be easier than a live action right <laughs> <And> i think <laughs> yeah, yeah right.
0: right they're they're uh they're much more difficult i think for for one thing it's It's sixteenth notes rather than half notes. I mean, it's, it's, you, uh, you're moving almost all the time. I mean, Toy Story had one scene uh, where you could write a whole note or a half note, uh, in the, in what was moving the thing along. Uh, but, uh, I find them more difficult for that reason. I, what do you, what do your guys say about it? Well, I, uh, I I think you're absolutely right.
2: For me, having watched so many animated films be scored, first of all, it's wall to wall. People don't understand. Yeah. It's not like there's a cue, and then we have a big kind of a big passage where you put a pop song in, and then there's a big silent yeah. scene with sound effects. Animation, the Ooh. composer is a writer. Of the film. He is scoring the action and telling everyone, here's what's happening now. And it's, I think it's the hardest thing to score. Plus, animated films are often comedic. And I also think the comedy is the hardest thing
0: to score. Oh, yeah. It is the combinations. Of, and there, there's examples like, uh, that are so phenomenally good. Uh, Carl Stalling, you know, was so good at it. And yet if you look at his score, It sort of looks like it's going to be like it's simple, but it it isn't simple. (laughs) You just made it look that way, I think. Yeah.
2: And that's, uh, it's interesting. I want to, I want to ask you about. Well, you mentioned somebody I'm deeply in love with, one particular artist, and I was listening to you talk about who influenced you, and you mentioned my favorite, Ray Charles. Yeah. And did you. He's my favorite too, just about, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you remember what songs of raised you first heard and blew you
0: up well i, f- I first heard i believe what did i say yeah like everybody else yeah and then the album the genius of Ray charles album and uh, dedicated to you and when he began to sort of drift into ballad land uh and country music he lost lost me a little mm-hmm. bit but uh i think he was the greatest mm-hmm. He is, I just... Uh, did you ever meet him? No, he did a song of mine, but I never met You're him. You're
2: kidding, I didn't know that. Which song? Sail Away. Did Ray cut Sail Away? That's, yeah, he did, he did. That is wonderful. That's yeah. something we got to well, find and play. Not not quite wonderful. But- oh, well, I know <laughs> that Bobby Darren
0: cut it, and that was the opposite, so... No, he, 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 he sung it well, like he did everything. He just did it sort of like it was sort of happy. Oops! Yeah, and the songs about slave trade. Yeah, so. but he meant well. I imagine
2: Ray would would probably understand it, but
0: uh... he understood. I mean, there's artists. You know, my songs are often um, difficult for to do to get by with because they're about controversial subjects often or people who aren't very likable uh, as the narrator (laughs) but uh i do them and get credit for doing it something that's brave but to think of Anna james did god's song you know that song Mm -hmm. mine? Now, and she did great and just really right from the heart she really didn't like god much (laughs) and uh that took some guts, you know, for her to do that. Yeah. Her audience is, might be, tend to be more religious than mine. I would hope so. But, uh. When you're writing a
1: song, do you know if it's for you or for somebody else?
0: It's mostly for me. Uh, uh, if I'm, unless I'm writing, someone says to write something for them, and I can't remember the last time I actually did that. Uh, you know, so, What I write is most often for myself. Though I went to, uh, I believe I I drove
2: one night to La Jolla to see Faust. Yeah. And uh, there were a number of artists singing your songs.
0: Yeah. And and on the record, you know, uh, Linda Ronstadt. Bonnie. James Taylor, Don Henley. Yeah. That was good. The Bonnie Ray. You know, if I'd grown up, if I'd grown up in New York, I think i I might have been more interested in doing shows, you know. I, it, it just wasn't anything that I that appealed to me much. Uh I mean I've seen great music in shows, but not very often. But I was I really enjoyed doing that. You know, people dancing to your music mm-hmm. and uh chorus, you know, singing and, and uh it, and jokes people laughing at jokes you wrote it would, it could have been a thrill you
2: know i just to, realized to, that he, your antecedent in that may be frank lesser
0: that, well that's 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 right thank you but he he he, he could write regular music <laughs> and uh, and songs
2: you know in other only. words when a person, you know those songs are yeah. funny and yeah. character based but first of all, I'd like to share my favorite phrase, which is, it's never too late. Why doesn't Randy Newman
0: write the great next musical? Oh. I don't know. You know, I liked what I did, uh, and it didn't get anywhere, really. Hmm. Uh, yeah, just. I, I'm not saying there was a plot against it, <laughs> but, but it, it was a big investment investment in time and uh and i don't know it may not be what i'm good at
2: oh i don't know I, mean, I thought it you, was fantastic you think i
0: would be yes all the yeah i did too
2: i thought it was I thought fantastic it was great, and destined yes. for broadway and boy i remember driving back from la jolla and thinking
0: well that's a hit show well that's nice uh, uh apparently not enough people never got uh East of Indianapolis. (laughs) East of Pacoima. Yeah. And and west of the moon.
1: You mentioned not growing up in New York. And um, it's funny, one of our uh, friend of the show and one of our producers on our documentary score, Lincoln Bandlow, he wanted me to tell you that growing up, he was so tired of hearing the countless New York anthems, and you finally wrote an L.A. song that he could be proud of. What was the inspiration for writing that song? Was it the same reason? Were you, were you wanting uh, to hear a song about L.A.?
0: No. <clears throat> Don Henley said to me, uh, you know, everyone's writing L.A. songs now. You know, L.A. breakdown and this and that. And he said, well, you're actually from here. <laughs> why don't you write one? So I did. I sing it. And that was uh, every, The end of every seventh inning. I'll be
2: singing it, I think, uh, when the Dodgers play the <laughs> Mets on Thursday night. Because the whole stadium breaks out and sings that song. Yeah, I know. And they show the, you know, different people kissing, and it's just a huge celebration.
0: Yeah, I like it very much. It's, it's very nice to see that happen. Yeah, that big nasty redhead yeah where is she <laughs> Randy, now <laughs> we we're talking
1: about we we're talking about toy story and how you write most of your songs for you but toy story is notable and like i think later on some of the characters start to sing but none of the characters actually sing songs in toy story which disney is usually known for was that something that was planned or was there ever any th- thought about tim allen or tom hanks singing a song in that film
0: no yeah uh they didn't want it. I never heard him talk about it. Uh, in fact, I think that was something they, they maybe didn't like about the Disney pictures. They didn't want anyone to break into song. Mm. You know, the, the stories, their stories, Pixar stories don't allow for it as much. You know, this I mean, Buzz and Woody, they don't seem like they're they're they're, they're gonna sing. Uh, Bugs' life is the same. Hmm. Uh, Those other ones I did.
2: Uh, well, I could but, see uh, Sea breaking into song.
0: Yeah, <laughs> 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 to you, right? Uh, That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it just
1: be. made me wonder because in Monsters Inc. you have John Goodman hey, and well, Billy too. Crystal breaking out in song and. It just, it's most animated films when they there's do. songs like that, the characters bust out into song. And that one really stands out to me as one that doesn't do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think they were right. I mean, I can't exactly imagine either one of them breaking into song. You know, they could, let me think, they could have done a celebratory type song at some point. You know, we're, we did it. We're great and we're happy. Well, we did it. We're great, and rubber. okay. Okay, let's hear that. I think that's it. We've just written. I think <laughs> we did. It. Oh, look at that. That's I think we have a news magic. break. <laughs> we did it. We're great, and
2: we're happy. It <laughs> sounds
0: like Billy Crystal
2: wrote it. <laughs> yeah. When you say uh, about the Broadway and the theater, it makes me wonder. And forgive me if I don't know. Has there been an evening of Randy Newman songs sung and
0: performed on Broadway? Yeah, they tried. Uh... Uh, <clears throat> a few times can't think of what they were called but it would be your song sung by Broadway actors my song sung by yeah sung by
2: Broadway actors and strung together with sung- a
0: remarkably versatile bunch oh nice you know they can sing they, uh, they're in tune uh Really, really good. Some good people.
2: Being in tune is is critical. I actually heard a cover of a Smokey Robin song earlier today, and I said to the person I was listening to it with, "Being in tune is overrated," and he understood how disappointed I was with the intonation. It's actually a remarkable part of recording, which I also wondered <laughs> yeah, about. It is. Which is that people that used to be a baseline requirement for an artist is at least being yeah. able to make the pitches in the
0: song. It did. Take a listen to Connie Francis. She's really in tune. Oh, you
2: know? in the center of the pitch. Just. Yeah. Right. Right. There. That's always like, incredible. More, Ella too. Just remarkable. Do you use, yeah. when you write a score these days, of course we get a chance to see people dragging little colored squares around on a, Computer screen as their method of composing. They're doing a Pro Tools session where they're looping and cutting and sampling. Do you still write with a pencil and a staff paper? Do you, did you ever write, and do you like to write with computers or any of the technology that's current? Well,
0: I'm, I'm insecure enough to to say, well, how would an oboe sound there? But I write, it, I write it down on paper. Mm. Uh, but. I'll, I'll, if I know I'm going to be writing for a trumpet, you know, I'll, I'll put it down on a synth and, and see what it sounds like. Sometimes I don't think it's made me any better hmm. having the synth. Uh, maybe it made me worse because the samples I have. James Newton Howard, the, the great composer, came, came over to my house one day, and after he left. <clears throat> he told somebody he said you know it was like visiting a third world country <laughs> and and it was <laughs> and he, he uh, but you know if you start listening to the samples at least the ones I've used uh, and it'll 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 chase you away from ever writing for oboe yeah it just sounds terrible yeah and the trumpet. For mine sounds sounds horrible but i'll i i check it but when a composer
2: writes the way that you do which clearly hasn't taken anything away from the brilliance of the scores but the directors now are so spoiled by hearing very elaborate synth demos have you been asked or are you yeah. asked
0: for that yeah mm-hmm. i get someone to, to make one yeah good <laughs>
2: okay and
0: sure Sure, you, you, uh, you of course get asked what they want to hear exactly what, what you're going to do. There's no surprises on stage anymore, yep. you know. Uh, so,
2: I, um, so, I worked uh, on a score with one of your contemporaries who said that the biggest change in his life is that going to the scoring stage now is simply filling in the dots of something he's demoed to death and he's just getting an orchestra to try and play exactly what the director fell in love with on the demo. And if he goes, that's a shame. Yeah, there's no creativity on the stage and no experimentation because if you leave the demo in any way, they get nervous. No, I like the way it played when you played it to me in a dark room on a screen. Jesus. So, so you don't get a chance. No,
0: I've never had that. I, I, uh, I'll do stuff from the stand. Uh, really. If, if is there something I don't like? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and I, I never had, I've had trouble with, with directors not liking what I was doing, but it was never because of that. Were you always
2: good with sight reading and penmanship? Of uh, No. No?
0: That's horrible penmanship. Oh, that's a man. relief. It's embarrassingly bad. That's a great relief. It's look, I look like a, I, I do it like a 4 year old <laughs> Uh, it's humiliating to me that it, it, you know, my treble clef looks like, looks like Humpty Dumpty or something. <laughs> uh, uh a horrible. One. I think about it quite often. But the, there I am, that's what I do, and it, and it's helped me. If you got a string part and everything's fine and you've maybe done it on the synth or something, Look at it. Doesn't do the right go the right places. If it doesn't, the voice leading isn't right. Doesn't follow the the rules. And it seems, but it sounds okay to me. It sounds okay. It gets better if you work if you, if you bust your ass a bit and, and work it out. Uh, it, it improves where you thought you had it, but you didn't really have it. Sure, you break some rules sometimes, but basically, you know parallel fifths, all that basic shit yeah. is of value. Uh, uh, may sound ridiculous, but it's true.
1: How do you pick your projects these days? Um, I'm sure a lot of people want Randy Newman songs, Randy Newman Ooh. scores, but what makes you decide on a project?
0: It used to be solely on how important I thought music was going to be the, to the picture. Uh, now I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, I'd like to get, uh, you know, uh, a drama of some kind, just a serious serious kind of picture like uh, Tom does, like my cousin does, and does so well. Uh, I think I'd like that, a, a good picture. I would think Marriage Story
2: would fill that in some ways.
0: Yeah, the thing about Marriage Story was <clears throat> it was I, I decided to do it with the chamber orchestra mm-hmm. and I've only used big ones up to now and it, it was different, hmm. it really was uh, uh, you can't cover anything up with strings, you know In the, when you got a big string section, when you got you know, twenty-four violins, and fourteen viol and all that. If you put a flute there with it, the flute will get absorbed and maybe change the string sound a little. Not maybe it will, but you won't hear it in there necessarily. But with with a chamber organ, you hear everything. You know, you can't. You put a you put a flute with the strings, and it sounds like a. Uh, 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 a film about aluminium, you know, a documentary. <laughs> uh, uh, same same with all the woods.
2: Yeah. It's so interesting. I'm so.
0: Exciting stuff, eh? Yeah. Well, actually, Was it that is that
1: your decision, though, to do a chamber? You yeah, said you've never it, done it? Yeah, it, it had
0: to be. I mean, that's what it, you didn't want to be, I could have used just strings, actually. Goldsmith did one of those, uh, magic, that movie. Hmm. where he had uh, just strings and two pianos. I just read the book on
2: Chinatown and how he was brought in with 10 days to go with four pianos, <laughs> really four harps, percussion, yep. and trumpet. And uh, what's fun about reading the book is then you go watch the <laughs> movie and you realize how I've never thought of that movie without that score.
0: No, um, Yeah, it's insane. He had how many harps? Four. Four?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He wasn't lazy. No, and you start to hear it. I mean, it's an <laughs> odd combination. And he was asked in the book, why'd you do that? And he said, mm, I'm not sure, which is my favorite answer. It just felt. He
0: liked hearing liked your- <laughs> he did- it. When I was really pretty young, I had a job at Fox running a thermofax machine. And Goldsmith was doing, wasn't a pilot, but it was an important episode of uh, Voice to the Bottom of the Sea. Hmm and he, he had it's too bad he's not still here uh, he had six bassoon six flute and six horns uh, two organs uh, and uh, like four mallet players though it may have been six also maybe superstitious mm. but that was interesting those, those kind of days I remember when John and Jerry were doing uh TV mm. stuff, and and Lionel let him do pretty much what they wanted. He knew who they were, yeah, pretty quick. Did you have a sense that
1: John was on his way to great things when when you guys were younger and you're around him before he stepped onto the big, you know, Star Wars level?
0: Uh, I think I think I could tell when he did uh, when he did a, a movie. That had million in the title, something, hmm. how to steal a million or hmm. something. It was a, it had two pianos on it at a time when that was unusual. Uh I can't think of the name of it, but it was a fairly big picture. Yeah. He, um you remind me of
2: some, I was lucky enough to do one movie with Jerry right near oh. the end. We did a movie. And if you'll forgive me, audience of this podcast, I'm going to share the possibility that Sometimes you work on movies that are terrible. So this was this was a terrible movie. It just nothing
0: worked. The actor he did too many. He did too many of those. And who's to say? Yeah.
2: And I think I think when he signed on, it probably looked like it was going to be a great movie, and the cast was famous and important, and there was a lot of money. But it just you know this can happen occasionally i don't want to surprise you it just didn't come together (laughs) and so um so i went to his house one day to hear some cues or do whatever i'm supposed to do as the head of music thinking you know jerry goldsmith hasn't spent a lot of time thinking i hope robert Kraft likes what i'm doing it was so the opposite i just was hey man whatever i'm so pleased to be in your presence
1: (laughs) came to sign the paper basically but also uh, i kind
2: of wondered how he's going to handle this picture that just isn't doesn't work and i very gently said something you know the polite version of what do you think of the movie and uh, he said something which i've always loved and you remind me just thinking about jerry he said i always score the movie i want it to be Wow. And I loved that. He's not scoring what's on screen. He's scoring. You know, this is a movie about a bear and a guy in the woods and his girlfriend and it was just Some people are going to know. I know exactly what movie that was. It just didn't work. Who cares? Oh, the yeah. you know, they get the bear in the end, and the guy gets the girl. Let's go home. So Oh, he gave
0: he gave it everything no matter what. I it loved was.
2: the score. He nailed it. Yeah. And <laughs> I just thought he scored what would have been a really scary tense movie about these characters instead of, you know, do I look good? Which is what every shot seemed to seem to be.
1: Without naming names, Randy, uh, on movies, have you had that experience where you're, you're sitting there going, wow, this movie's not very good, but what do you, how do you stay motivated in those situations?
0: Well, you, you do the best you can to make it work. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, got a scene where, uh, guys on a cliff and falls you you try and make people nervous if it's a love scene you play it there's nothing else you can do
2: has the director ever asked you to make a scene funnier
0: yeah Yeah. he said are there any funny instruments (laughs) (laughs) one of the musicians told me I said something I didn't say when he when he said that Uh, I can't believe I would have said it but I've had trouble. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I bet. That, that was the time. It's tricky. It's tricky. I think probably for a director thinking this is the great Randy Newman. And yet I have to figure out a way to tell them what uh, they don't give.
0: They don't give a shit about that.
2: Oh, you're so nice. No one.
0: No one does. They, uh, they're the director yeah. and they have to answer so many questions about costume and, and where guys going to move, and what they're going to do. Uh, that stuff about music, they answer those too. Yeah. And they don't know any, anything much.
2: They don't, and it's also the, uh, well, please.
0: I, I did interviews like this, not this uh, way, not music people, but where I would say, uh, yeah, this guy said this and that, and uh, the reporter's laughing, putting it all down. And it was really, made me wonder if I'll ever work again. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. Mike Nichols said, I don't know how how you'll ever get another job, including from him. But but, uh, I've learned to shut up until this moment. Yeah, well, I read his biography,
2: (laughs) and I can't believe he got other jobs. So it's a great book, (laughs) Mike. Uh, But uh, I think that it's understood that being a great artist comes with a lot of points of view. I think we can say it that way, and that's who you—that's who you're hiring. And i the hardest part has always been with non-musical directors and composers. Is the non-musical directors have no clue what they're talking about, and yet they will wade into the room and say, "What's that sound?" And you go, "Um, you know, that's the sound of a clarinet or a snare drum." And well, do we need those in this? I mean, you have been there as much as any of us to hear that, and I, I always admire anyone that can be patient with those questions. You have to be. Yeah. Uh, you just well, you're,
1: you're constantly going back and forth, too, where you're in the Randy Newman world where you write your song for nobody but yourself, but then you go back into film where people, yeah. you have to take that direction. Is that difficult to balance for you, or have you just gotten used to, like, switching on the, the I'm on a team versus I'm solo? Is that e- an easy switch for you to flip?
0: I can do it. Uh, you basically nod, and 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 if if you disagree, you say, "I, I don't think that's a good idea." Uh, maybe that's so nice. Uh, well, it's well very, what are you gonna do? It's, well, it's, it's, you could say, "I the, think it's their pick." It's their pick. Oh, I've said it too. Yeah. I said that too. <laughs> uh, it's their picture. Yeah. You know. that's
2: the hard part. That may be the most perfect final word of advice to all the young composers listening today it's their picture i think that's the t-shirt
0: yeah it is is. and you will you won't be blamed for it you won't get credit for it yeah
2: exactly right and they will take all the blame or all the credit and uh it's their picture but it's just for me randy it's a joy to spend an hour talking to you i'm just as you can imagine as a musician as a fan as someone who loves songwriting and film scoring uh you're one of my heroes and i think i speak for millions of people just heroic body of work and we look forward to the next one
0: very nice is
2: there anything coming up anything you can tell us any big inside late breaking Mm -hmm. news no not really not really. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. That's great. That's what a nice way to be. Uh, well, we're going gonna... to die or retire. Well, that sounds like the same for all of us at this point. Those are those are two options.
1: Uh, well, Randy, we we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. A quick reminder to our listeners: you can follow us. Twitter, at score the podcast, Instagram, at score Movie, Facebook, Score, a film music documentary. And the season is ending, but more score continues on. Go to patreon.com slash more score where you can get exclusive interviews, exclusive merch, and uh, stuff you can't get here on the show. Stick around after the show today. We're going to play you a clip from Spitfire Audio so you can hear some of the different sounds to elevate your music. Maestro... Thank you so much for coming on our season finale. Great pleasure.
2: Really
0: enjoyed it. Thank you.
2: Really great. That's and great great uh, we'll see you next time. We're looking forward to the next the next Randy Newman score or song. That's always something to look forward to. So well, thank you. Big love to all. And let's go to Hollywood
0: Park Same together. Okay. Yeah. They're off the running at Hollywood Park. Happy CrossFit Children's at Hollywood Park. All right. <laughs> see you around.
1: Hey, score listeners, we are so grateful for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herman Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music. You're about to hear a musical demo of what that sounds like.
2: And then, as, as an exclusive to score listeners, Spitfire is offering 25% off your first order using the promo code SCORE2021. All one word. And it's exclusive to our listeners, but I think it's time to jump on this now because since the season is ending, this is it. We don't know how long this offer lasts. So, this is it. Go to SpitfireAudio.com and enter promo code SCORE2021 so they know we sent you. Kenny, you want to play that last music clip? Yeah, let's play the clip. This is
1: the Contemporary Drama Toolkit, one of their most popular packages. Check out all these cool sounds. Alright guys that's it for us thank you so much season four is a wrap join us over on more score patreon.com slash more score there's hours of content waiting for you we will see you